0: If you have a Bible with you, or an iPad or an iPod or whatever you have, if you would turn with me uh, to First Corinthians chapter fifteen, if you're able and can stand with me, I'd like to read the first eleven verses uh, from this chapter to kind of set the tone, if you will, for what we'll be studying here the next couple weeks out of First Corinthians fifteen. Paul here is writing in. In my Bible, it's subtitled, The Resurrection of Christ. That's the first 11 verses, what he's going to be talking about here. I'd like to read through these and then uh, consider at least the first couple on uh, this morning. So let me, let me read these. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain— so we preach, and so you believed. Let's pray together. God, I am so excited to be heading into this chapter, a chapter of hope, a, a chapter of uh, wonderful anticipation of what's to come in our future. Father, I pray as we study through this that uh, you would again revive that settled, determined hope that's in you, I, I pray that we would never waver uh, from what you tell us is your plan for our life and how you describe to us things that will happen. So I love you, Father. I pray this morning as, as we study that the sermon these people hear will be far better than the woman I'm about to give. And Father, your grace would be with me even as I speak. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. We find ourselves this morning turning the page, if you will. Uh, we're into chapter 15. Well, that means we only have two chapters left. We have chapter 15, we have chapter 16, so it's not going to be too long. And we'll be done with this book. Uh, we'll have concluded our study through the first preserved letter that Paul wrote uh, to this troubled church. And Paul's going to turn a corner, if you will, in chapter 15. You'll notice that he started the chapter, if you look there, he starts the chapter with the word now. And we use that word often. When we'll, we we'll be talking about something, we'll say now. And we'll kind of lead on to something else. That's what Paul's getting ready to do here. He's getting ready to change the topic. He's been discussing from chapters 12 through 14, the gift of tongues and, and prophecy. And now he's going to pick up on a new theme. And this theme is related to the future I like this because as humans, you and I are often curious about the future and what's going to happen, and it's a realm that we're not privy to too much information. We have some, but, but not a lot, um, and it holds this appeal to us, if we could only know the future. Some people turn to all kinds of demonic ways to try to find the future, things like horoscopes and palm reading and crystal balls. Why are we so enthralled with the future? What is it we want to know? Why would we like to have that information in our possession? Well, maybe we just want to know what kind of life we're going to live. Where am I going to end up? What's my life going to look like? Or maybe we're convinced that we could live better if we knew this is what's going to happen. It's all going to turn out okay. Maybe that would give us some confidence or or maybe just that we would have a more meaningful life if somehow we knew what was coming there's a lot of things that god has chosen not to reveal to us and and for good reason but in this chapter god does give us something about our future he talks to us about our future resurrection And so I think you're going to be excited as we go through this because it uh, tells us in great detail what's going to happen to you and I one day. Either we're going to be alive when God comes back, Christ comes back, or we're going to be buried out there under the dirt somewhere. But something's going to happen, and we're going to be involved in it. And this chapter kind of shows us what that looks like. So I'm excited about it. We get to look into the future and see what's going to happen uh, to us. And I would point out to you that because we can look into the future, because we have this chapter, it actually does affect the way you and I live today. Hold your finger there and turn the page to the very last verse of this chapter, chapter 15, 58. There's a lot of verses in this chapter. Last verse, because we know the future... It actually affects how we live today, and Paul says as much in verse 58. He says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So he's going to take this chapter and he's going to say, here's what's going to happen to you, and at the other end of the chapter, the bookend is, here's how you live in light of that. So because we know the future... We live in a certain way, and the way we live is that we're steadfast, we're immovable. It says that we're always abounding in the work of the Lord. So I think this chapter is going to give us a lot of hope. I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited as I study through this and kind of getting ready for us uh, this morning even. Now, it's critical for us to understand why Paul is writing this chapter Paul doesn't just write random things just for the sake of writing. There's always a reason uh, why he's writing what he's writing. He is not writing this chapter because the Corinthians have a problem believing in the resurrection of Jesus. In fact, we know that they had to believe in Jesus. Otherwise, Paul could not have referred to them as brothers like he did in verse 1. He said, now, brothers, and he goes on to address them. He could not have called them brothers if they didn't believe in the resurrection of Jesus. You have to believe that Jesus came out of the grave or you cannot be called a Christian, at least not in the true sense of the word. If you remember Romans 10 verse 9, we use this verse often, especially in evangelistic type settings, but in Romans 10 verse 9, Paul says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that what? God raised him from the dead then you will be saved. So one of the crucial pieces of being saved, of being a Christian, is believing that God raised Jesus from the dead, that Jesus really did come out of the grave. It's a fundamental belief of the Christian faith. The whole system of Christianity hinges, if you will, on this idea of the resurrection of Jesus. If there was no resurrection, then there's no life-giving power. If there's no resurrection, then there's no power in the gospel to change a man's life. If Christ was not raised from the dead, then there's no divinity in his nature. If Christ didn't come back to life, then there's no salvation for man. There's no eternal life. Everything you and I believe as Christians hinges on the fact that Jesus came out of the grave. It's a core doctrine of our faith. The the Corinthians understood that. They got that. They they believed that. Back in chapter 1, Paul called them saints. They're not acting saintly. Uh, They're they're certainly far from being mature in Christ, but he calls them saints because they believe in the fundamental core things of the Christian faith. One of those is, is the resurrection. So... The confusion that Paul's addressing here is not because they, they don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus. So, so what is the problem? The problem is the Corinthians don't believe in the resurrection of the saints. They don't believe that when Christians die that their bodies will come back to life. That's why Paul is writing this chapter. The Corinthians, as you know, are immersed in a Greek culture. Everything about them is Greek. That's where they live, that's what they breathe, that's what they know. And it's that Greek culture that they continue to bring into the church, and it sort of just wreaks havoc in this church. One of the mottos that was hanging in the city of Athens, there was a plaque there, there was this motto, and it read like this. Once a man dies and the earth drinks up his blood, there is no resurrection. That was hanging in the, in the city of Athens. Once a man dies and the earth drinks up his blood, there is no resurrection. It was an idea that was begun and forwarded by Plato. If you remember the philosopher Plato, he believed that the human soul was trapped inside this prison of flesh and bones. And that when a person died, it was like a bird was being released from the cage. It was as though the spirit were finally free. It finally escaped this prison of, of the body. And so there was this belief in Greek culture that once you died and your soul had escaped from the body, there was no more use for that body. It was, it was gone. It was, it was a glad escape. It, nobody wanted to deal with that material body anymore. Spirit was good, body was bad, and so now the body is gone, the spirit is free. That's what the Greeks taught. That's what Plato pushed, and that's, that's what the Corinthians then began to believe. That's what they were involved in in their culture. And so when they began coming into the church and began to have salvation, they believed that Jesus resurrected. They believed that Jesus came out of the grave, but no mere human, no other person would ever resurrect. That was the belief. So that's what Paul is writing to. Paul is correcting this faulty assumption. He wants them to know and to appreciate that one day their body would come out of the grave too. It wouldn't be the same. It wouldn't have pain. We won't have tears. We won't have uh, all of the problems we have with our bodies today. But our bodies will certainly come out of the grave. They'll be renewed like Jesus' body. And because of that, we'll see Jesus face to face with with our renewed bodies. And Paul wants them to understand that. It's not just some death and then the Spirit goes. And so Paul's going to lay out his case in chapter 15 for why humans will also resurrect like their human forefather, the divine, the Son of God, Jesus. Now Paul's going to lay out this chapter in a number of ways, and if you look at your Bible, you'll see these. In verses 1 through 11, he's going to remind them that Christ resurrected. They already knew this. They already believed it. So Paul starts with a common ground. He says, let me remind you that Jesus resurrected. And so he's going to do this reminder. Then in verses 12 through 34, he's going to say, now listen, if you believe that Jesus resurrected from the dead, then you also must believe that you're going to resurrect from the dead. And so he takes a number of verses to outline what the human body is going to be like when it resurrects from the dead. And then in verses 35 through the rest of the chapter, he gives this really in, uh, precise detail of what will happen. And that's where we see the verses like in the twinkling of an eye will all be changed. Uh, that's where death has no more sting. Uh, we'll find all those things at the end of this chapter. So you'll see that as we flow through, the, flow through this chapter. So the first thing Paul wants to do is establish their common ground to say, Okay, I want to remind you uh, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In verses 1 through 11, he's going to give them four proofs. We're going to look at just one today. That's all we're going to have time for. Number one, he's going to say in verses 1 to 2, look at the experience of your salvation. The very fact that you're saved should cause you to remember that Christ resurrected from the dead. Then he's going to look at, he's going to say, and you remember in the Old Testament scriptures this was predicted and he says a couple different times according to the scriptures according to the scriptures then he's going to look at eyewitnesses look at all these people that saw Jesus when he resurrected and then he's going to come to the very end and he's say because of all of that here's the conclusiveness of this message and that is Christ resurrected from the dead so we're just going to look at the first one today look at verses 1 and 2 so look at let's start with verse 1 look at, look at it again Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. Paul's giving them a reminder. Paul's saying, you already know this, you already believe this, but I want to remind you. Why would Paul take the time to remind them? Well, the Corinthians are just like you and I. We need reminders from time to time. I don't know how you are, but I keep reminders on my phone. I keep little post it notes. Uh, I ask my wife to remind me of things. We need reminders because as humans, uh, we tend to forget things. So Paul is going to give them a reminder here. I had to issue a reminder just this week uh, for my daughter, Abby. That old cat that you see walking around outside out here, uh, many of you trip over when you're walking out the door. Uh, She went and had babies. She's a miserable old thing. This is like her third or fourth letter. I don't know how many it is. Uh, somebody told me for being a church cat, she sure gets around. And uh, I believe it. I, I keep praying that one of these days, one of you guys will back over her in the driveway, and nobody, nobody's done it yet. God has his protective hand over her. But she had babies. And of all places to have babies, she had them right in our garage right next to the steps. We actually watched her have babies. uh, Right next to the steps. It was a disgusting mess. There's hair all over, matted. Uh, You walk out of the house and you hear the meowing of these cats. And so I was going to kick them out. I was going to make her get out. And the girls begged, oh, Daddy, you can't kick out the babies. They'll die outside. So I agreed to leave them there with one condition. And that is... When their eyes come open, they're out. We're moving them out of the garage. I don't want five little kitties running around pooping everywhere in the garage. So eyes open, you're out. So this week, I was in Cleveland, and um, Abby texted me. Daddy, all their eyes are open. So excited. Well, the first thing that goes through my mind is, I've got some enemies out there. I could drop some of these off in their front yard. They never know. I had to repent for that. That wasn't right. And so I said, you know what, um, Abby, I got to remind you, remember our deal. When their eyes open, they go outside. So when I came home, they had taken a pet carrier, and they'd moved him out with a little towel, and it was all, it was all nice. Uh, once I got home, I was issuing her a reminder. Don't forget. Now, she already knew that she was supposed to put them out, but it was a reminder. Don't forget, the kitties need to go out because their eyes are open. That's what Paul's doing here. Paul's saying, look, you guys already know this. Jesus rose from the dead. I'm just reminding you. Why? Because sometimes we forget or sometimes we just need to be brushed up on those things. So Paul's reminding them what they already knew to be true, the gospel of Jesus Christ in his resurrection. Now, the gospel is more than just the resurrection but it certainly includes that if you look down in verses three and four paul gives the the gospel message in a nutshell in just two verses he gives him the gospel message he says i delivered you of first importance what that christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures why did christ die christ died because you and i are sinners I had bad thoughts this week about getting rid of the kitties on somebody's front lawn. Some of us lie. Some of us steal. Some of us cuss. Some of us sleep around. All of those things demand death. Jesus says, I died because you sin. We're sinners, we deserve death but God loved us and in his mercy and in his grace he said I will go down and I I will send my son down to die for the sinners I'll show them mercy I'll I'll show them grace so the first part of the gospel is easy Christ died for our sins he was our substitute we call that substitutionary atonement. He stood in our place and atoned for our sins or made peace with God, satisfied the wrath of God for our sins. And look what else it says in verse 4. It says he was, he died for our sins and it says, and then he was buried. Jesus really died. It wasn't a hoax. It wasn't a... Magician's trick. It wasn't some illusion. Jesus really died and they really put him in a tomb. And here's the kicker the rest of the verse, verse 4. He was raised on the third day. Three days later, he came alive. Our leader, Jesus Christ, is alive. He's in heaven, seated at the right hand of the throne. That makes Christianity different from every other world religion because we are the only religion that serves a living leader. It's interesting, if you look at the followers of Buddha, one of their followers wrote this, when Buddha died, it was with that utter passing away in which nothing whatever remains. Buddha died and that was it. Asoka, one of the emperors of India after Buddha's death, "...distributed his ashes in minute proportions to 84,000 shrines all over the continent of India." And Buddhism is still a religion where people go to the shrine and they worship a dead leader. Muhammad, who we hear so much about today... Died in Medina in, on June 8, 632 AD, at the age of 61. And his tomb is visited year after year by tens upon tens of thousands of Muslims. But what are they coming to his tomb for? They're coming to mourn his death. You and I serve a living Savior. And not only on Easter do we celebrate that, but every Sunday morning, every Lord's Day when we get together, what are we celebrating? The fact that Jesus Christ is alive. He is resurrected. That's the gospel message. Jesus died for our sins because we're sinners. He was buried and he rose again. And if you and I will believe that, if we'll repent of our sins, then God promises, I will save you from my wrath. He places us in Christ, Paul says, and he, we're given his righteousness. So Paul's reminding them of this. This is the gospel. This is nothing new. This is something you've known, um, and you've heard it. Did the Corinthians believe it? Yes. Yes, they did. Go back to the chapter 15. Look at verse 1. He says, I'm reminding you, brothers, of this gospel, and I just told it to you, that I preached to you, in which you received... They believed it. They took it in. They understood it. They expressed a saving faith in Jesus Christ. That was in their past. Now look what else he says in verse 1. He says, you received it. And let me also remind you that it's the gospel in which you stand. Paul says, in the past you received it, but in the present you stand in it. Listen, folks, I, I, I need to probably insert this if, you, if I can here. The gospel message is not something that you and I hear back there somewhere in our past and that we believed and now we just move on to other things. Paul says the gospel is that which you received, but it's in that which you stand. The gospel message never goes away. The gospel message never becomes elementary. We only have a fuller understanding of the gospel as we grow in Jesus Christ. But it's the gospel that holds us. And it really is the gospel that should make us, when we get out of bed in the morning, to say, wow, what a wonderful day to be alive. I praise you, God, because of your gospel. If you ever come to my house... Um, in, in, in the main bathroom, inside the house, right beside the mirror, first thing you see when you get up in the morning, there's a little thing that kind of for an encouragement, and the first one, first line on there says, "Remember the gospel." Because when you and I remember the gospel, we'll recognize this: it doesn't matter what happens today. Whatever comes, if my boss is a jerk, if my kids are a handful, if my spouse is being too mean to me, if my work day is just a bomb, it does not matter what happens to me today. Because I receive the gospel and I stand in it, I stand forgiven in the eyes of Christ. That gives me great hope. That gives me reason to praise him no matter what happens out around me. We sing this song here at Providence It's an old familiar hymn and there's a verse in the hymn and it goes like this. You'll recognize it. It goes like this. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. And the chorus goes on to say, it is well with my soul. When you and I think on the gospel and the fact that all of my sin has been solved at the cross of Jesus Christ, then there's no other response besides praise the Lord. Whatever comes today, praise the Lord. My sins are forgiven. It is well with my soul. So Paul's reminding them. You received it. You stand in it. And there's something else. Look at verse 2. He says, And by which you are being saved, that, that indicates a progression, a continual process. You're being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. There's a progression, no doubt. We receive the gospel we stand in the gospel and it's that same gospel that's teaching us. We're, we're maturing inside of that gospel and we're, we're growing. As we continue to exercise a believing faith, we continue to grow in our knowledge and worship of God. You'll see something there in that verse. Look, look at this. There, there's a condition there. You see it? There's a little word there. It's the word if. See that condition? Paul says, in which you're being saved if you hold fast to the word I preach to you. And why does Paul throw that in there? Why would Paul say that? Well, it's critical for you to understand something. Paul is saying this. True believers are those who persevere in the faith. There are those who don't give up. There are those who don't abandon the faith. You will continue, Paul says, in your being saved if you hold fast, if you persevere, if you don't apostatize and just walk away from the faith. People will say frequently to me, you know, I I knew this guy over here and, he made a profession of faith and, and he claimed to believe and he really was doing well and then after a while it just kind of looked like he just, he just sort of fell away. I, I don't know what happened. Did he lose it? What's going on with him? Paul would say this, true believers hold fast to the word. True believers persevere. There will be those who initially jump on the bandwagon of Jesus Christ and then later fall off. Jesus alluded to this idea of holding fast. You must hold fast. Often in his earthly ministry. Let me give you just a couple examples. Jesus saying this in John chapter 8. It says Jesus was saying these things, and many believed in him. And at that point in that verse, you think, wow, many people believed in Jesus. This is an evangelistic harvest getting ready to take place here. And then Jesus, in the very next verse, says, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. How do I know who are truly the disciples? They abide in the word. That's the proof that you're my disciples. Do you remember the parable of the, of the soils that Jesus gave, the four different soils and the guys planting seed? And one of those in, in chapter 13 of Matthew in verse 20, it says this, the seed, some of the seed was sown on rocky ground. This is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. That, that's the person, the rocky ground is the person who receives the message or the gospel of Christ and says, yes, I want that, give me that, that that's, what, that's what I need, that's what I want. And then the next verse says this, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. What's the problem? He had no root. There was no genuine saving faith there. He was all excited. He jumped on the bandwagon. But when the tough times came, he didn't hold fast. He abandoned. He, he fell off. He never really embraced Jesus Christ. In John chapter 6, there were disciples who believed for a while, superficially, uh, and when things weren't going their way, it says this, His disciples turned back and no longer walked with Him. The sign of authentic faith is holding fast. It's abiding. In 1 John 2, it says this, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might be plain that they are not of us. When someone abandons the faith, when someone walks away from the, from the faith, John says, it makes it plain that they were never of us. In 2 John chapter 9, John says it again. He says, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. There has to be this abiding. There has to be this holding fast, You and I use this terminology and we say it like this. The proof is in the pudding, right? Just watch. The proof is in the pudding. Is this person genuinely saved? Well, if he is, he'll persevere. He will hold fast to the gospel of the truth. Do you remember Romans 10, 9? Talked about just a second ago. We quoted it earlier. What is the first part of that verse? Listen again if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is what? Let me say it again. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, what does that mean? Lord means that He has authority, that He's the master, that He rules your life. And if He is Lord, if you confess with your mouth that He is Lord, then our only role is what? Obedience. Obedience. And so that holding fast to the gospel says, I confess you as Lord, and I trust you, and I will walk in your ways. Paul's reminding them here because he knows that there are some, look at the end of the verse, who have believed in vain. There are some who have believed in vain. Friends, let me tell you that there is a sad reality that you and I live in, even today. Not unlike the Corinthians, even today. We call it easy believism. It's the idea that you can profess with your mouth some kind of word of faith um, and then live any way you want. It is so prevalent today, and it's sickening. Paul would never say that. Paul would never say, oh, just confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and and then go do what you want. That's what we call easy believism. Uh, Every church struggles with this. Providence is no exception. The Bible gives clear warning to the person who professes to believe, who joins a church and then lives his life in blatant disregard for all of God's instruction. That's one of the reasons why at Providence, we spend so much time on membership. That's why we spend so much time with people um, in, in stressing the importance of a genuine profession of faith, a genuine conversion. One of the questions people ask me, "Why do you make everybody take the membership class?" I, "What's the big deal?" Well, the big deal is this: we want to make sure that people understand what it means to be saved and that part of being saved is abiding. It's holding fast. It's continuing in the faith. We don't want to give somebody a false assurance by saying, yeah, you can come be a part of our church when their life is being lived in a way that would have an utter disregard for what those scriptures would teach. So we spend a lot of time with folks explaining the gospel, making sure they understand this. Much like Paul, reminding them of the gospel. Now, can we see people's hearts? Do we know for sure that somebody's saved? Do we always get it right? Of course not. We're human. But we do everything we can in our power uh, to make sure that this person understands what the gospel is and that they're living it. And sadly... I'm sure you know folks just like I do that have said, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. And you look at their life, you watch their Facebook page, you you hear the rumors and you think, wow, you're a Christian? Where's the abiding? Paul says, I want to remind you of that which you received, of that in which you stand, And of that which you hold fast to, that's the gospel that'll save you. That's the one who perseveres. That's why Paul is so explicit in 2 Corinthians 13 when he says this, Examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do not realize this about yourselves, that Christ is in you, unless you fail to meet the test. You and I are called to look at ourselves and say, Am I abiding? Am I holding fast to the profession of faith which I made? So let me ask you some questions and we'll, we'll close with these. I'm gonna ask you some questions to examine your own self. Number one, do you believe that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead? That's, that's fundamental. If you don't believe that, you're not a Christian, biblically speaking. And do you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord? Is it your belief that Jesus has mastership over your life? Number two. Can you see a marked difference in your attitudes, in your desires, and in your behaviors since coming to Jesus Christ? In other words, are you different from the person you were before? When I look back on my life, there are parts of my life that I am absolutely ashamed of. That I've had to confess and been embarrassed to tell anybody my past. And I look back now and I say, by God's grace, I hope to never go back there again. A marked difference between who you were and who you are now. If a person comes and says, Yeah, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus Christ and their life doesn't look any different from what it did before they made that profession, friend, you have good reason to question whether or not you're really saved. Number three, is Christ becoming increasingly sweeter to you? Do you find yourself waking up in the morning saying, I am so thankful for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I no matter what comes I am so thankful God that you sent a redeemer is that becoming sweeter and sweeter to you every day and lastly then is the gospel becoming more precious to you as you study it as you as you learn about this God who saved you those would be indications that you're continuing in the faith. If your answer to those questions is yes, 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 then my, uh, my thought to you would be continue to hold fast. Continue abiding, friend. Don't give up. Hang in there. Don't let go of Jesus Christ. But if you hear those questions and your answers are no, 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 then friend, you have reason to believe that you may have believed in vain and God is calling you to the cross while there's still time let's pray god i thank you that you are a redeeming saving powerful god father i thank you for reminders because it's so easy to forget the main things. We get caught up in the things of life, we get caught up in the things of our occupations. And we forget sometimes that you're still on your throne. That you still rule that you're still in charge and no matter what happens to us socially and economically and politically, father all things come under your sovereign design and plan. So Father, I thank you for this timely reminder. And I pray for those here this morning that are holding fast. I pray for those this morning that have received the gospel, they're standing in the gospel, and they're being saved by the gospel as they hold fast to the faith. Father, I pray that you would continue in your power to give them that sustaining grip on the gospel. Thank you for your steadfast love. Thank you that even the power that we extend to hold on is is your keeping power that flows through us. We keep ourselves in you as you keep us in you. It's an amazing synergy that happens there. Father, I pray, thanking you for this great gospel that has saved many and continues to save. And I also want to pray, Father, for those this morning who may have fallen away, who haven't held fast, or maybe who have believed in vain. Oh, the words have come out of their mouth, but there's no evidence there. There's no proof there that there's been any change in direction in their lives. I pray that you would bring conviction on those souls your convicting spirit would come in and take out that heart of stone and place in there a heart of flesh and cause individuals to be born again father i ask that your comforting work would take place in those who repent and those who come back and say father it really is all about you it really is about holding fast and i repent and Father, when they say those words, that you would comfort me included when I, when I forget, that you would just comfort us when we repent and we come back to you. I love you, Father. I thank you for what you're doing in this church and for what you're going to do. Thank you for letting me serve here and thank you for the great gospel that you've entrusted to us to share here and throughout the generations. I pray in Jesus' name.